Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It is a big show, so let's get right at it. Later, we'll meet Carly Fortune, an award-winning journalist who worked as an editor at some of Canada's top publications, including The Globe and Mail, Chatelaine, Toronto Life, and The Grid. She was most recently the executive editor of Refinery29 Canada. Her new book is called Meet Me at the Lake. It's a love story about secrets, lies, missed connections, and second chances that is being called beautiful and heart-tugging. That's a little bit later on. First, we meet Lindsay Cameron. Now, for many years, Lindsay worked as a corporate lawyer in Vancouver and New York City before leaving the law behind to write books. Her first novel, Big Law, was an insider's view of the cutthroat world of big New York law firms and was a big hit. That was followed by a suspense novel called Just One Look, a novel that critics called totally addictive. Her latest book is No One Needs to Know, another suspense story described as White Lotus meets Gossip Girl. It explores a modern age nightmare. What if your darkest secrets were revealed to your enemies? In the book, an anonymous neighborhood forum gets hacked, and the darkest secrets of New York's wealthiest residents come to life, including some worth killing for. Lindsay Cameron joined me via Zoom from New York City, where she's currently at work on her next book. Let's go back a little ways, like probably quite a long ways, and tell me a little bit about uh, the first book that you remember reading, which was Charlotte's Web, and it left an impression on you. How so? It did. I was just really fascinated with how that that um, author created that story and allowed me to almost, you know, see the movie in my mind. Mm -hmm. And after I read that story, I would kind of do almost like Charlotte's Web fan fiction with different types of animals and write, you know, a bunch of different stories that were probably terrible. But my mom would always tell me they were really great. <laughs> um, and I think that is what you know, planted in my seed that writing was something really fun that I wanted to explore. I always, you know, carried a journal with me, was writing short stories after that. Well, this you say that question. you can't remember a time in your life when you didn't write. So it's always been something that's first and foremost. Why then did you go into law rather than uh, creative writing or, you know, something that might have fit along that path a little bit more? It was always something that I loved to do, but I think I, I don't exactly know why it wasn't something that I saw as a career option. It was more something that I that I thought was a hobby. And I so I did what I think a lot of people who love writing do. I went to law school um, and I, you know, went to law school, worked as a lawyer for a number of years, but I knew it wasn't something that I wanted to be doing long term. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to be doing. I just didn't want to do that long term. And then when I was working at the firm, um, I was working late one night and it really just struck me how different law firms are from how they're portrayed in books or in movies. And I thought somebody should write a book about what really goes on in like the crazy world of a New York law firm. And I kind of had this light bulb moment where I thought I should write a book and, you know, grabbed a notebook, started like scratching down a bunch of ideas, did that for probably about six months until I thought, if I'm really going to do this, I think I need to leave the law behind and, you know, give it a chance. And it was sort of like a now or never moment. Um, 
where I decided to leave law and try and write a book. And that became my my first book, which was Big Law. That's a big step. You're a corporate lawyer. You would assume that, you know, you have a, a financial basis that comes along with that, you know, and you're living in New York City, a very expensive place to live. Uh, to step away from that, to become a writer, uh, what did your friends and family think at that point? Well, it was actually something that I kind of did in in private. I told my family, not not so many of my friends, that I was writing. I wasn't sure if it was something that I was going to just write and stick in a drawer or if it was going to be something I wanted to write and try and publish. So definitely a lot of my friends were confused when <laughs> I left law and they were kind of like, well, what are you doing with your days? And I was, you know, secretly trying to write this book. I remember when I finally revealed what I'd been doing, one of my friends said, that's why I always see you in Starbucks with a laptop, <laughs> because that was where I was writing. Um, so I I think that, you know, at first they were confused, but later when I told them what I had been doing and what I had hoped, what, what I hoped was, would be my career transition, they were all very supportive. Is there anything that overlaps from the practice of law into your life as a writer now? Is there anything that you could take away from the discipline that you learned as a lawyer and apply to your career as a writer now? Well, I, I think I had hoped the writing skills of a lawyer translated into fiction writing, but it absolutely did not. <laughs> because <laughs> legal writing, when you're writing a contract, um, you don't want to leave any room for ambiguity. So you say the same thing like five different ways. So it cannot be interpreted in any other way other than what you intend. But what I quickly realized when I was writing fiction is that does not make for good fiction. You do not want to say the same thing five different ways. You don't want to like um, constantly spell it out for your reader. So it took me, you know, a while to move from legal writer to fiction writer. You're listening to Lindsay Cameron on The Richard Krauss Show. Her new novel, No One Needs to Know, is available wherever you buy fine books. But something that I think was helpful is exactly what you said, the, the discipline of just sitting in the chair for long periods of time and writing. Um, I, I did bring with me the discipline of being uh, of doing that, of writing, um, but the writing skills were very different. Yeah, I suppose fiction writers don't use uh, the word uh, uh, where to very often or that sort of thing. There's, no, a, lot, there's no. a lot of words you only ever see in contracts. There's a lot of words, yes, yeah. Uh, you don't want to see those in, in fiction. Well, let's talk about uh, the new book. It's called No One Needs to Know. And it strikes me that uh, this book, uh, it's about a lot of things, but it's about privacy. And I think in a lot of ways, it's about privacy. And I think privacy is something that a lot of us think about now a great deal because uh, our cell phones have more information on us than probably even our spouses know about mm -hmm. us. Uh, you walk down the street, you're being uh, videotaped everywhere you go. So we've given up a great deal of privacy for convenience. And I think we think about it a lot, but I don't think we think about it uh, critically very much. Is privacy something that you think about? And is that what kind of led you into writing this book? I, I do think about it. I'm fascinated with how much information we now put out about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um sometimes willingly and sometimes we think it it will remain private online. Um, my previous book, Just One Look, also explored a similar theme. That one had um, how much about how much you reveal about yourself in your email. 
Um, and this one is more how much you willingly put out online. And people do that. Um, I'm a reluctant social media user, but a lot of people um, on social media reveal a lot of stuff about themselves. And so there's the stuff that we willingly put out there. And there's the our day-to-day -day life where we think it will remain confidential. You know, we we do our banking on there. Um online and, and doctors have portals with all of our medical information online. Our employer has a portal with, you know, our social security numbers and everything. And so all of those are really one data breach away from our personal information being available for public consumption. And that, that fascinates me. And from a thriller writer mindset, I think about what would happen if that information gets into the wrong hands. Well, it's interesting that you uh, base this around what should be the most harmless online social media aspect of like a neighborhood forum. Mm -hmm. You go to complain about the leaves not being raked up at number 32 on your street, <laughs> that kind of thing. But it it opens up a, a, a can of worms for an awful lot of people. So uh, I guess it makes the point that no matter what it is, a Twitter account might seem harmless because it's only where I put my cat videos, but really you're revealing a great deal about yourself every time you open up your computer. I mean, you really are. And, and the idea for this book actually came when I was reading posts on one of these um, anonymous mm -hmm. uh, new parent forums. I was a new parent at the time and another new mom had said, have you seen this anonymous forum that was created for New York City parents? And she said, it's highly entertaining. <laughs> and I thought, what could be that entertaining about something like that? So I created an account. Um, and I what I expected to see was, um, you know, maybe crowdsourcing information about parenting issues that you were too embarrassed to talk to your friends or family about. But and there was that. But what there was also a lot of was people just really wanting to unburden their conscience. And this anonymous forum allowed them to do that. People were, you know, talking about secrets that they had from their spouses, affairs that they had had. And I was just fascinated. First, that people would use that forum to unburden their conscience, but yeah. also that they would put the trust in this forum that that their personal information would never be revealed. Was this during the pandemic? Because uh, well, it, it was before the pandemic, really? but I would imagine that the boards would be equally. Well, yeah, because in the, in the pandemic, when you're locked down, you're inside, you know, you, you start to look at the computer as your only method of reaching out to other people and maybe then I could almost see oversharing yeah. a little bit before the pandemic you have no excuse I mean it, it was it was actually kind of bizarre but I guess it is in human nature that you would you just want to unburden your conscience in mm -hmm. some way you know some people go to confession and some people like go to these online forums and decide that that's where they want to unburden their conscience Let's talk about Heather, one of the characters that I found quite compelling uh, in the book. Um, she essentially wants her daughters to go to better schools. And, you know, there's things that she just wants a, a better life and, and uh, is is using this. Tell me a little bit about creating a character like Heather, uh, someone who um, would do almost anything to be part of the group. Um, is she based on people that you know or, or is she a complete fiction? Uh, I mean, she's pretty much complete fiction. I think every author takes, you know, little nuggets from their from their experiences, like maybe little personality quirks of people who I've met. But she's really fiction. I wanted to create a character 
who was hanging on to the bottom rung of this, you know, micro community of the uber wealthy. And she was using all of her motivation and all of her energy to try and climb up that ladder. And in one way she was doing that was by trying to give her own daughter a leg up, like maybe her own daughter was going to make her way in this Mm. community. And she was using all of her energy to do that. As you're creating uh, characters to appear in a thriller, you want them all to have rich backstories. You want them all to be interesting, keep us going. All of them could be a suspect, I suppose, in some way. Uh, So is that top of mind? Because when you get to the end of the thriller, I think that it is only satisfying if you, as the reader, have had a chance to figure out, given the clues that you've already been given, the end of the book on your own. If it comes as a complete surprise, if a trap door suddenly opens and someone pops in and says, I did it, someone you've never <laughs> seen before, uh, it feels like you've been ripped off a little bit. So in this, you have to work in little clues and subtly uh, keep a lot of balls in the air. Uh, how do you do that? Do you make up character studies and treatments and things beforehand? Or do you start on page one and just write until it's over? Well, I feel the same way as you do. I don't like to feel ripped off by an ending. Exactly as you said, somebody you know comes in out of nowhere. So I'm very cognizant when I'm when I'm writing that I want to drop little clues without without you know twenty percent in you knowing exactly what happened. So I think that those little clues and the character studies happen through multiple drafts. The first draft is really. Um, I know the characters that I want to have. I know how I want it to start, how I want it to end. What's going to happen in the middle really is created through multiple drafts. And I feel like I I create character character studies before, but I learn about my characters as I'm writing. And often I'll be three quarters of the way through a draft and I'm already making notes of things that I have to change in the beginning because I feel I've learned more about my character. I've learned that they wouldn't react a certain way or they wouldn't say a certain thing. So I'm a writer who explores that with multiple drafts. Douglas Copeland, the writer, told me one time that his characters, he said, it's almost like they sit on my shoulders and they just whisper in my ears like, I wouldn't do that. No, nope, that's yes. not me. Yes, I I agree, but they're not always whispering. Sometimes it takes three quarters of the draft where they're whispering, Lindsay, you had me say that. I would never say that. I would never do that. And so I have to go back to the beginning eventually and change it. I wish they, I wish they were whispering to me from the beginning. Right. Uh, do you still go to Starbucks and write? Is that your happy place to write? You know, I before the pandemic, that is where I wrote. Um, when the I, I found it distracting to be to write at home. I thought anytime I was writing at home, I always convinced myself there was something else I needed to be doing. Always, at, yes. At Starbucks, um, I didn't mind the low buzz of voices. Um, I put on my noise canceling headphones and could really focus on writing. Um, then the pandemic hit, and we couldn't go and write in Starbucks. So. I, I kind of created this writing space um, at home, and now that's I've learned to be able to focus at home. So I've transitioned to now writing at home, not spending as much on coffee. You're listening to Lindsay Cameron on The Richard Krauss Show. Her new novel, No One Needs to Know, is available now wherever you buy fine books. I always say that my house is never cleaner than it is when I'm working on a book. Because if I'm at home and I'm stuck on something, instead of just sitting here staring at a blank page, I will vacuum 
or empty the dishwasher, or I will do something, which is like, I and I've tried writing in coffee shops. I just can't do it. It just doesn't work for me. Um, I really kind of have to be right here. But uh, if I'm working on something long form, that's very difficult for me. Yeah, man, this place sparkles. <laughs> oh, I am the same way. My apartment sparkles. There are fresh baked cookies. I've done something good for dinner because I feel like there's always... There's always something else to be done. I'll sit at my laptop and I'll be like, oh, I should really dust those blinds, you know, even though it hasn't happened in a long time. I'll convince myself that everything else should be done except the writing. But I, but now that I'm not writing at Starbucks, I have gotten better. But my writing space is um, not in view of all the you know, the dirty kitchen and the other yeah. things that I need to be doing. Yeah, you should put a big lock on it as well or something, exactly. like time release lock or something. <laughs> I, I love stories. Helpful. Yeah, well, I, I love stories like uh, Elmore Leonard told me one time when he was writing, he always started at the same time and it was early, I don't remember, but it was five or six o'clock in the morning. And he wrote longhand and he sat at his desk until noon, exactly noon. And he would stop, even if he was in the middle of a sentence. If, when it was noon, it was time to talk, and he had the same thing for lunch, I think, every day. And then he would go back, and he'd finish writing from 1 until 3 or 4 o'clock or something. But it was very regimented for him. And uh, that, again, is something that has never worked for me. Every writer has their own style and their, their own way that they approach things. Uh, do you have a certain method that you use? I, I wouldn't say that I'm regimented, um, but I, I have uh, two school-aged children. So what I do is I, I write when they're at school. Um, you know, so between that eight to three time, um, I'll go into my into my writing space. And usually it takes me a, a few hours of sitting there. I mean, I'm writing in those hours, but I don't feel like in the groove, in the flow, in my character's head for a few hours. So I do need that chunk of time while they're at school. Um, but when school pickup comes, like it is, if I'm in the middle of a sentence, if yeah. I'm in the middle of a thought, if I'm in the middle of my character's head, I have to close the laptop and go, which sometimes is so difficult because I I feel like, oh, I, I feel like I'm finally in the scene. Um, so that's really the only regimented part of it is that I, I have to go pick up my kids from school. So I, I do have to close the laptop at a certain time. I've been told, and I don't do this, but I've been told that a lot of writers will deliberately stop in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a thought because it's easier to come back and pick up that thought the next day rather than finishing the thought completely typing the end at the end of the chapter and then having to start something completely new the next day. It's easier just to kind of get in the groove of something that was left half finished. That's interesting. I think I prefer to finish the thought. I think because it does, when I start in the morning, um, it does take a little time to get back fully into the character's mindset. Um, you know, you have all the different different things that are pulling your attention to get back into your fictional world, back into that setting, into those characters. It takes me a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. So there's many times that I, I wish I could have finished the scene the previous day or, or finished the thought or finished the conversation. Cause um, I'm not, I'm not quite there mentally yet when I s sit down in the morning, I'm more yeah. running through my to-do list in my head. You know, right. it takes a little time to get that out. <laughs> are you working on something right now? I am. I'm working on another um, thriller. I, I usually don't reveal too much about what I, my work's in progress. I think I'm a little superstitious that way, but it but it's uh, in the same genre. Well, we'll look forward to that. Lindsay, thank you so much.
Thank you so much. This has been fun. That was Lindsay Cameron on The Richard Krause Show. Her book, No One Needs to Know, is available now wherever fine books are sold. Let's meet New York Times and number one Globe and Mail bestselling author Carly Fortune. She's an award-winning journalist who worked as an editor at some of Canada's top publications, including The Globe and Mail, Chatelaine, and Toronto Life. Her debut novel, Every Summer After, was a smash hit that everygirl.com called a must-read. Her new book, Meet Me at the Lake, is a love story about secrets, lies, missed connections, and second chances that is being called beautiful and heart-tugging. In the novel, a random connection sends two strangers on a day-long adventure where they make a promise one keeps and the other breaks with life-changing effects. Carly Fortune joined me via Zoom. Uh, Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's go back. This is your second book. Let's go back uh, to a time where you found a bunch of old diaries that you had written uh, and you thought, I don't know, do I keep them? Do I throw them away? What should I do with them? COVID hits, you have time to read them and sort of go through them. Tell me a little bit about how that affected you and put you on this new course in your life. Sure. Yeah. So I kept diaries from the age of seven until uh, like early university years. Um, I've got 13 journals from that time. And when my parents sold our house, I grew up uh, on a lake in Barry's Bay where my first book, Every Summer After, is set. When my parents sold that house, um, just kind of took those boxes of diaries and shoved them in, in the back of my closet in my house in Toronto. And then it was one of the early lockdown weekends in March of 2020 um, where I was just bored. And, you know, we have a young son and, my, and I'm, I'm married um but we were always on top of each other and so I was just looking for something to do by myself quietly in my room so I dug out those diaries and uh I read them all and I was really struck by how present the emotions especially in my teenage years just how those feelings from back then still stuck with me you know the crushes that I had um that those feelings that were not returned there were letters um and notes passed in class in the pages. There was uh, wow. like a, a six page letter from my best friend breaking up with me. Uh, there was a letter. Yeah. Yeah. That was hard to read. It was hard I'm to sure read. It was. Still. Yeah. And uh, there was a letter that I wrote to my crush telling him that I liked him and, and saying like, this is the only way I can tell you, but obviously I never <laughs> I never you said give it to him because it was still tucked away in your diary. Yeah, some some of the pages had like legitimate tear stains on them. <laughs> wow. And uh it it just really put me back in those years. And then a few months later, um we my husband and I had the opportunity to spend the summer um on a lake near where I grew up. The owner of the cottage was American, so he couldn't cross the border and he's a, a friend of the family's um and we we stayed there. And at the same time, I was trying to like run a bit more. And I managed to run out to the house where um, I grew up on the lake. And I had never I hadn't visited it in over like since my parents sold it over 10 years ago. And it really felt like running back in time. Um, I ran into somebody who like I grew up with uh, on the lake. It was just I was just in this like weird nostalgic headspace. And so um, in July, 
I, I'd always wanted to write a book. It's always been a dream of mine. I was a, a journalist. I didn't think I'd ever write a book. And then I got off a very stressful work call one day and said, you know what? I'm going to write my book. I'm going to write it by the end of the year. I'm going to do something for myself that's creative. And I, I'm going to write about what it's like to grow up at the lake. And the book becomes an enormous bestseller. It does really, really well. We're sitting yeah. here now with Meet Me at the Lake, which is yes. your, your follow-up uh, book. With all your years of uh, being a journalist and writing mm -hmm. as a journalist, it's a much different thing than writing yeah. as a novelist. Was there some kind of adjustment or really were you just looking to shed some of that and try something completely new? I was looking to try something completely new. And as a journalist, I didn't write that often because I was an editor. So mm -hmm. I was I was assigning writers. I was working with writers. Sometimes I would write, but I was mostly behind the scenes. You're listening to Carly Fortune on The Richard Krause Show. Her new novel, Meet Me at the Lake, is available wherever fine books are sold. And I just wanted to do something for myself, something creative for myself. I loved creative writing when I was a kid. Like I used to write stories by hand and I well, just- And 13 diaries as well. And 13 diaries. <laughs> and I, I lost that. And you know, they say when you're, if you're looking to pick up a hobby when you're older, do what you loved as a kid. And it, it was kind of like that. And I just loved it so much. So I, I wrote every day. I set myself a really low word count goal. Um, I figured out, you know, a manuscript is 80,000 words. How many words a day would I have to write in order to get there by the end of the year? And it was 388 words. How that's like it? for people that don't, that's about a page. That's a page a yeah. day. Probably. It's a page a day. And I, I've worked with reporters and columnists who file far more than that every day with original reporting. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> and uh, it, it was so liberating. There was this moment where I was kind of stuck in the story and I was like, wait a second, this isn't real. I can just make this up. <laughs> With a journalist, it was like, I know that sounds really silly, but it was it was like a revelation for me. This is not That's real. That's amazing. I love that so much. Well, did you, as you were writing this book, uh, you must have taken as the working at Chatelaine magazine, being an editor and and Refinery29, all that stuff, you must have taken hundreds, thousands of pitches. Uh, yeah. So you know what works and what doesn't, I yeah. guess. When you were writing that first book and then the new one, Meet Me at the Lake, do you think that way? Do you think, oh, this is uh, the hooky part of the story that will help me sell this? Um, I've learned that I'm not good at coming up with like hooks. I'm not, I'm learning about how all that stuff works in, in publishing. Um, I didn't think that way with the first book. I really did write it for myself. And then as I started to get into it, I was like, oh, this does feel like a book. Um, and but I do, I think as a writer, um, I'm I'm very aware of audience and wanting to reach a wide audience and wanting people to feel like they're included in the conversation and and um uh, that is something as an editor, especially like, you know, I've worked for large publications, national audiences. I worked at the Global Mail and always thinking about the reader, like the reader comes comes first. And, and these aren't niche publications. And I don't consider myself a niche writer. Like I would um, I wanted to I think some 
you know, writing is really personal and your goals for your writing are really personal. But I would never, when I decided I wanted to publish it, I would never be a writer who was like, if one person reads my book, I will right. be happy. But like, no, <laughs> I want everyone <laughs> to yep. read this book. Yeah. Whenever I have written a book, uh, and there's a few of them now, whenever I've done it, uh, I always think if I like this, hopefully 10,000 other people will. Yeah. That's kind yes. of what you want, right? Yes. Yeah. And you, you really do. You, it's so, you know, sometimes I'm like, am I just entertaining myself <laughs> doing this? <laughs> or some, and sometimes I look at my sentences. I'm like, is this just for me? Or will other people find this delightful too? <laughs> <laughs> It is interesting because the first one was so, it sounds like relatively easy and it yes. becomes such a big hit. You're like, well, this is, yeah. this is just the way it is now. And yeah. so it, it's kind of cool though, actually, to struggle a little bit with the second one, because I imagine the third one now, and I yeah. assume you're writing something now, yes. we'll, yes. we'll have a different vibe to it. We'll have it, a, a, it a different a, approach to it. It absolutely has. It has had a very different vibe and it's interesting because it's been a tough year like uh, personally i have two young children mm -hmm. we've been sick constantly since september constantly so i've had one of them home with me all the time or i've been sick so, so it's been challenging to write but the writing of the third book has been so much lighter and i'm like you know i've i've done if i need to rewrite this book if that's what happens i can do it right. um and it, it's it's just been it's been the most fun i've had writing so tell me about coming up with the story for Meet Me at the Lake. There's kind yeah. of a, a Rashomon uh, idea to it where you jump back and forth between the past yeah. and the present that you did that in the in the original book as well, which I would think presents structural issues yeah. a little bit as you're as you're it's, working through it, jumping around in time. It can be tricky. To, yeah. Do you have to have a big graph to figure out where you are in the story? Um, well, every summer after was kind of easy because it was six summers in the past and one weekend right. in uh, the present. And it just alternated between those. It would just go, you know, one summer and then back to the weekend. And that made it feel actually very easy to, ta to tackle it structurally. Like um, short stories almost or something. As yeah. And, I, you know, every I knew what would happen in the present day weekend. And then every time I would get to a summer in the past, I'd be like, okay, what needs to happen in this summer to like, where are they in terms of their ages? And what is it like to be 14? And then what has to kind of happen to progress or um, throw a wrench in this relationship? Right. Uh, with Meet Me at the Lake, it was a bit more challenging because um, they in the present tense, they spend the entire summer together at uh, our resort in Muskoka. And in the past, they meet over 24 hours. Um, and in my first draft, it was all set up the lake and the characters were uh, just graduating high school. And then my editor suggested that we have them um, be a bit older and we set it in the city in the past 24 hours. So I, I trashed the entire backstory and I had worked for like eight months on that first I was gonna draft. say that's got to be hard yeah oh yeah that was that was I felt like vomiting for two days but at, when when somebody makes a suggestion like that and it really struck a chord with me I was like I this book I really wanted it to explore when I wanted to explore how life doesn't work out the way that we always think mm -hmm. it will and um having them be a bit older just fit that so well and when she, my editor was like what about Toronto they spent 24 hours in Toronto I just like got so excited by that idea the Toronto of 10 years ago was a really 
fun city to be in. And I spent a weekend just kind of plotting out what those 24 hours would look like. And it was the most fun I had writing the book was, oh, wow. was writing that part. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you mentioned uh, starting the new one. Uh, and then having to throw part of it away, come back and, and rework a little bit. The first book, Meet Me at the Lake, uh, or the, the 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 every summer after, yeah, every summer after, yeah, I've got Meet Me at the Lake right in front of me. That's why, yes, um, uh, was so successful. When you get that box, so when you're an author, part of your deal is you get a box full of books, right? And that and that opens, you you open yeah. it and you go, wow, this is so cool. My name's on the the spine of a book. Yeah. Then you realize, oh, now I have to do this again. Yes. And was there any of that with like as you're as you're creating this story? Did you have that feeling like oh now it, now it starts all over again? I I had a really tough time with the second book, and I was writing it uh, well before every summer after came out. And thank goodness because mm -hmm. had I had I known how successful that book would have been and had all that those kind of reader reactions to it I think it would have been even more difficult but I just felt like I wrote every summer after in about four months the it's the published book is very similar to the first draft I wrote you're listening to Carly Fortune on the Richard Krauss show her new novel meet me at the lake is available wherever fine books are sold and it felt like magic so much about that book just felt so magical and when I started meet me at the lake I had a two-month-old baby at home I was going through like postpartum insomnia um I was so tired and uh, my mental health is not in a great place following the birth of both my children. And I just thought, you know, every summer after it was a fluke and I can't do this again. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know, like, how did I even write a book? I went through my notes that I kept for every summer after to try to figure it out. Like, yeah, how did right. I do that? And so the first draft was really every day I, I, I wrote that first draft for Meet Me at the Lake. I would spend an hour to two hours telling myself I couldn't do it. And I just kept doing it. <laughs> I just, I just, I had a word count goal and I wrote until I met it. And, um, I, it was really hard to get my, my editing letter back because it was just, there was so many, um, notes and I had an experience that with the first book. And then it was like, oh yeah. And let's like rewrite half of it. And I, I thought, oh, I did a bad job, but now having gone through that process that's more realistic for what it's like to write a book and i feel like you know what i can do i can do this sometimes it's hard i yeah. but that self-doubt was really really difficult in writing the second are fern and will who are the two main characters uh in this book are they based on anyone uh or are they sort of amalgams of people that you've known no however there is one couple in meet me at the lake who who, who is a is like an amalgamation of real people that I know. Um, they're the Roses who are longtime guests at the resort. They're in their 80s. Um, they drink martinis every Sunday. And they are based on um, several couples who were guests at my parents' inn um, and restaurant who became real friends. You know, when you have a business where people come and stay with you, you really get to know people mm -hmm. over a number of years. And so they are um, kind of a tribute to a few of those couples from my life. Did you grow up in the inn? Were you living in the state? No, no. We, had, um, we had a house that was our cottage when I was born in Toronto. And this house was our, our cottage. Um, 
and then we moved to Australia. My dad is Australian and we moved back instead of moving to the city, they decided to move up to the lake. So our cottage became our house and then they opened um, a restaurant and inn right. um, in town. So you grew up around, but not in. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. But I'm like a, like a restaurant brat kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, waiting because... tables, washing dishes. <laughs> yeah. You learn how to do everything. I worked in restaurants for years. I still sometimes have serving dreams. Oh, absolutely. I do. I, they they <laughs> usually take the form of stress dreams, though, with yes, me. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, I'll have these dreams where I'll be working a bar. I was a bartender, mostly. Yeah. I'll, I'll be working a bar that you can look down and it just goes on forever. Like, there's just no possible way you're <laughs> yes. going to be able to get to everybody. Or another that I have is uh, someone will say, I'll give them a hamburger or something. And, and they'll say, oh, uh, do you have any ketchup? I'm like, of course I have ketchup. And then I have to run down a bunch of flights of stairs, get on the subway, take the subway a few stops, <laughs> get the ketchup, come back, give it. And then they're like, oh, and mustard uh, and down the stairs again. It's just, I, I don't know, it. it's in there. And, it, yes. and I've worked in restaurants in 25 years, but it is, it is in there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> What well, is the third book? Maybe good. you should write a restaurant book. Yeah, you know, like tourism and hospitality is kind of in every one of my books mm -hmm. in different little ways. Um, but my third book is not a restaurant book, but no. there is a bit of bit of hospitality in there. That was Carly Fortune on the Richard Krauss Show. Find her book, Meet Me at the Lake, wherever you buy fine books. A big thanks to Carly Fortune. A big thanks to Lindsay Cameron. Find her book, No One Needs to Know, at fine bookstores everywhere. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>